you're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute. And if you're like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram. Or you can always join our private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. Today, or well, whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's in the evening. But if it if it isn't, hopefully you're fully stocked on some no filter wine. I like to call it my housewives watching wine because it's the wine that I drink when I'm watching the Real Housewives or really any reality show. I've been binging a lot of stuff on Netflix lately and Hulu and all over the place. So if you need something to sip while you're binging the latest good reality TV tea, then I hope you get some no filter wine. Like I said, I like to call it my housewives watching wine. It's available at nofilterwine.com. It is a fizzy, light, crisp white wine and a fizzy, light, crisp crisp rosé, both perfect for summer, perfect poolside, perfect as a pregame going out. Great gift to give to your Real Housewives uh, besties that love watching the shows because they are in. we have four fun designs and they're all inspired by some of the most iconic Housewives moments. This week I've got out. I'm not going out tonight. I'm disengaging. It's a lovely white wine. 13% alcohol by volume, less than a gram of sugar. And I have out the, I'm not going out tonight, I'm disengaging wine because of this week's guest. I have on Meredith Marks from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. She's going to be on the podcast this Wednesday, so get ready for that. If you haven't done so yet, go and send me your questions for Meredith so I can ask her them. It's going to be a juicy one. This is the first interview she's done since... Um, Jed Shaw's pled guilty. So get ready for that. This Wednesday, the interview will be airing. And the next week, I've got on Jenny McCarthy Wahlberg from uh, Judge on The Masked Singer, amongst other things. The View, uh, Singled Out, if you used to watch Singled Out on MTV back in the day. Um, huge, influential person in the world of autism, written several New York Times bestselling books. I used to work with her, used to run her foundation back in the day, so it'll be nice to sit down and catch up with Jenny. That's going to be an actual like in-person sit-down interview, so I'm excited for that one. Uh, Book Club will be back this Tuesday. We are going to be catching back up on Holly Madison's book, Down the Rabbit Hole, so next four chapters we will be breaking down live on Tuesday. We are going live on the Instagram account at no filter with Zach and the YouTube account, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash just plain Zach. So get ready for that. Are we ready to break down the tea, you guys? Because there is some tea to be breaking down. We got some Beverly Hills tea. We got some Vanderpump Rules updates. We got some new um, Teresa tea and Melissa. So without further ado, let's just dive right in, shall we? So first up, Kristen Doty, formerly of Vanderpump Rules. You know, Kristen was the hot mess express on Vanderpump Rules. So... She was recently on Sheena Shay's podcast, Shenanigans, and she was talking about her latest breakup from Alex, who was her boyfriend, who she started dating right after she got fired from Vader Pump Rules. Um, and unfortunately, it did not last. But she is opening up about it, saying that she was really sad because he broke up with her seven months after she had sold her house and moved in with him. And she was like, oh, here's my meal ticket. It's going to last. I got me a boo thing. She said that she was even in the process of quitting cigarettes because she was like ready to start uh, like preparing to have a baby with Alex. Like they were, they'd been together for what, two and a half years. So like things were getting pretty hot and heavy and pretty serious. And it seemed like it was going in a positive direction. 
she was disappointed that he literally broke up with her like months after she decided to move in with him. She said that he also blocked her completely on social media and I guess on her her phone too. She said that even though it was really harsh for him to do that right after the initial breakup, it ultimately was helpful for her because then she couldn't reach out to him. She said it was really hard. She's like, how do you just erase two and a half years of our relationship together? Like, that's pretty fucked up. But he was like, I want nothing to do with you, I guess. But she said that it helped her move past the relationship quicker because she really had to cut off all ties with him. She couldn't see any of his social media posts. So it was, I guess, helpful as shitty as it was but she calls him a total narcissist in the interview um I feel like it's a little trendy to use that word oh he was a narcissist she's a narcissist he's a total narcissist I feel like narcissist and the word toxic are terms that we use as like great deflection because I think we all actually I was having this conversation with a friend of mine that used to be or that is a therapist but she I was talking to her about it because I was texting her and I was like do you think I'm a narcissist and she's like I don't think you're a narcissist because narcissists typically don't think that they're narcissists. They just are narcissists. And if you are thinking that and asking this question, that's a pretty clear indicator that you're probably not a narcissist. And I was like, okay, bitch, calm down with your psychology degree. But anyway, I think we like to use the term narcissist. I think it's the popular term right now. I don't think that like 70% of the population happens to be a narcissist. I don't know the actual statistics on narcissism, but she was telling me that it is possible for people to have narcissistic traits without necessarily being a full-on narcissist. Because I had gotten in a, a, a disagreement with someone recently and I was like, oh, is this person a total narcissist? And I was like, you know, what? I'm actually going to look up what that means, what that term actually is. Because people use use it so loosely. I looked it up and I was like, oh, maybe all of these traits don't describe this person, but I actually think some of these traits describe me. And so that's why I text her and I was like, am I a narcissist? And she's like, no, you're not a narcissist, but people do have narcissistic traits. You know, it's also like, I think we're so quick to put labels on things and to diagnose things. That's why like WebMD and like internet diagnoses are very dangerous and bad and problematic. That's another fun word people like to use. But I think my point being, I think people like to use the word narcissist or the word toxic to be like, that relationship was toxic. That guy was toxic. My ex is toxic. That friendship was toxic. When we like to use that to offload any sort of responsibility that we also need to be taking accountability for ourselves. If I ever get in a disagreement with somebody or in a fight with somebody or there's a falling out of some sort, I always like to look at my role in it as well because I don't think that it's entirely one person's fault. Sure, there are instances where that can happen, but I've noticed things where I've attracted very selfish people into my life or people that are, you know, possibly self-absorbed. I wouldn't label them as full-on narcissists, but I did attract, you know, where they definitely seem to be the more important person in the relationship with myself and and that person and friendships, business relationships, all that sorts of stuff, all all those types of relationships, sorry. And I had to really look inward and be like, okay, well, what am I, like, how is it that I keep attracting this same type of person? And then I realized, oh, there's an actual like deeply embedded like wound in me that I haven't fully healed. You know, I 
tend to think that I don't have as much worth as the people that I engage in these relationships with. And that's why I allow them to take center stage because it then keeps me at a lower level. You know, Kelly Van Simone's up here and me, Bethany Frankel, I'm down here. And that's kind of how I would go into relationships thinking they have more value than me. And that was a fucked up, you know, sort of behavior pattern that I had that I had to work on. And it's not necessarily other people's faults. Yes, some of those situations could have been a little toxic. Yes, some of them, you know, maybe the other person was a little more self-absorbed, but I don't think I was as good as asserting my needs or knowing what I want or really understanding my worth or my value. And so I wasn't showing up to the table as the person that I am today with the lessons that I've learned now. And I think it's very easy to just dismiss people as toxic or situations as toxic without actually exploring, well, what was it that made it toxic? Because look, at the reality is there aren't just a bunch of psychopaths. I mean, yeah, there are a bunch of psychopaths, but every single person that you bring into your life is not just a psychopath narcissist. You know, we all have bad traits. I like to say I don't think humans are good or bad. I think we're equal parts good and bad. And it's, you know, whatever we decide to show up as in that moment on that day. You know, I'm I'm a good person and I'm a bad person. That's why I'm pretty sure people have great stories of me and me in their lives and also have terrible stories where I'm sure they label me a narcissist or say I'm a toxic person or whatever they want to call me. You know, but it takes two to tango. And my point is we use these words narcissist and toxic, I think, a little too often. And it's a deflection and a way for us to project our own bullshit onto somebody else and be like, well, the reason this didn't work out is all their fault. They're just a narcissist. They're just self-absorbed. But we don't realize the problematic behavior that we brought to that relationship as well. Or the fact that we allowed certain behavior that was beyond what we knew we were worth. And it just made us feel comfortable to be treated that way or to be abused in that way. And that's why we continue to engage in that. And we have to take that personal inventory so that we can work on that and then move past it, right? So there we go. But Kristen says that she is doing much better now, that she's grieved the loss of her relationship with Alex. She says that she's not currently seen anyone exclusively, but she's having a good hot ho summer. Ho, sorry, a hot or sorry, a ho girl summer, not a hot girl summer, but a ho girl summer. And listen, good for her. She's living her best life. She's a strong, independent woman. She said that she has her own apartment now. She doesn't have a house. She doesn't have a relationship. She doesn't, you know, she's, she's doing the best that she can. We've all been there. We've all had our Kristen moments and our Kristen years. And I'm pretty sure she's going to shine and get through it. And she's going to be back on her feet. It seems like she's already back on her feet. But good for you, Kristen. You go, Glenn Coco. We're rooting for you, Kristen. We want to see you thrive. She also says that on Vanderpump Rules, she wished they would have shown more of those like lighthearted, fun scenes of her. But that oftentimes they just wanted to show crazy Kristen and, you know, drunk Kristen. And that was really just the hot mess narrative that they wanted of her on the show. And obviously when you sign up on a reality show, you sign up for whatever your narrative is going to be for the season. And when hot mess Kristen works for the camera and it works for the show, of course, the producers are going to continue to push that narrative. But she seems like she's in a better place now. Seems to be close with a lot of the Vanderpump cast members still. She says that she doesn't really talk to Stassi as much. She consider she considers Stassi a sister for sure, but she doesn't really talk to her, communicate with her as much. Um, I guess after the firing, when Stassi, you know, had her baby and got married, and her life just changed. You know, tis what it is. Good luck to you, Kristen. Good luck, girl. We love you. 
Okay, Derek Hemsley is coming in with the clap back at Dana Wilkie. We know Dana Wilkie from, she was a friend of on season two of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She was 25000 Remember she had the $25,000 sunglasses? Did you know? 25000 25000 I think she's the one that hosted Game Night when there was the slut pig, Brandy Glanville versus Kim Richards and Kyle Richards. And I, at least I wasn't doing crystal meth in the bathroom all night long, bitch. That Brandy Glanville. Sorry, that night with Brandy Glanville. I believe was hosted at Dana Wilkie's house. So anyway, Dana Wilkie reshared a meme about Dorit and Mauricio having an affair, which is basically all fan fiction. This is a theory, a rumor. It's been circulating online for a while. I don't think Dana is the person that invented this rumor, but she did share it publicly. She definitely seems to have something against like PK and Dorit. Like there's definitely bad blood between them. I believe she was one of the ones that was like questioning the robbery and whether or not the home invasion was like real or whether it was set up in some way. I remember PK called her the see you next Tuesday of the week when he was doing his little see you next Tuesday of the week segment on his Instagram. But Dorit's jumping in now that Dana has shared this meme, which was a a photoshopped image of Dorit and Mauricio like together as if they were having an affair. And Dorit calls Dana miserable in her life and one of the thirstiest people that she's ever seen. She says that there is zero truth to the rumor and that it's sad and pathetic and she's over Dana and she's just like, girl, leave me alone, woman. She said she called her woman. Do you not have a life, woman? Dana Wilkie. I mean, listen, Dana has now, Dana's like, she's a podcaster now. This is what she does. You know, she stirs up some drama, stirs up some heat. Um... I don't think that Dorit and Mauricio are having an affair. Like, come on. I just, I don't think that's a real thing. I think Mauricio really loves Kyle. I think Kyle really loves Mauricio. And I think PK and Dorit also really love each other. I don't think there's a need for either couple to step out of their relationship. I mean, listen, if they wanted to have a little swingers menage a trois, that would be, you know, a hot fantasy to think about. Now that PK's got his new teeth and he's not homeless or toothless now, he's doing his thing. You live your best life, PK, with your new teeth. But, um... Yeah, these are low budget rumors. They're not I don't think there's any truth to Dorit and Mauricio having an affair. I just I don't think that there's but she's also like my children, Jagger, Jaggy, Jagger. Moves like Jagger. I got the moves like Jagger. But yeah. Low we're we're classifying this rumor under low budget T. Period. Was Melissa Gorga actually invited to be a bridesmaid in Teresa Judice's wedding to Louie? Well, according to a new report from All About the Real Housewives, toward the start of filming, Teresa asked Dolores, Jennifer, and Melissa to be in her wedding. And so we know initially Melissa was not asked, which caused major tension, and it was like a a thing at the last reunion. Um, Joe Gorga said that he was barely even asked to be in the wedding and his kids weren't asked to participate in any sort of way. Apparently, Melissa told Teresa after Teresa invited her to be a bridesmaid, she told her, nope, stick to your original decision to not have me in your wedding. I'm declining this offer. Thank you, but I don't want to walk in your wedding. I'll attend. I'll support you. I'll, you know, throw rice at your wedding. I'll do whatever, but I don't want to be a bridesmaid. You already made your decision. I don't need you to go back on it now. You already decided that you didn't want me to be a bridesmaid in your wedding, and I don't need a pity invite. So, Dolores, why she even agreed is wild to me, considering that she 
wasn't she originally like left out of what was the bridal shower or the engagement party? There was some sort of party. Remember that Joel Oris was not invited to. And um, what was it? Because Dana, not Dana, what's her name? Um, Dina, Dina Manzo was there. And I remember Teresa originally said that Dolores wasn't invited because she was single at the time and it was only for couples. There was some dumb reason and excuse. But I mean, there's if there's anything about Dolores, she is loyal. That is one thing about her. She's loyal. She's a ride or die. Even when you're not loyal to her, she's still loyal back to you. And Jennifer, of course, we all know she was going to decline an offer to be in Teresa's fairy tale wedding and be a part of Teresa's fairy tale spinoff, which I don't think is a full on spinoff. I know I use the term spinoff often, and people are like, What? Teresa got a spinoff? What? And they're like, Heads are going to explode. But I don't think it's a full on spinoff like show with like 12 episodes. It's not like a. Um, a Kim Zolciak spinoff show where she had like multiple seasons and multiple episodes. I think it's just a wedding special that's probably going to be like maybe, I would say at best four parts, maybe two or three. We do know that the the filming between the wedding and the finale party, the finale wrapped on Thursday night and the wedding was on Saturday. So that's really only what a 48 hour window from when they wrap New Jersey to when Teresa's spinoff was technically going to begin filming unless they started filming it that last week. It's possible that they've been filming the spinoff for a minute or the special for a minute, but I would imagine it was really only that 48 hours and maybe a couple days after the wedding to get like the the honeymoon and the wrap up of everything. Because obviously everything else is going to be featured on Real Housewives of New Jersey. And so I would imagine that the whole season is going to lead up to the wedding. And then as we get to the finale of... Rail Houses of New Jersey, then they'll promote Teresa's spinoff and we'll get that special at the end of the Jersey season because it wouldn't make sense for them to air it before then. But then again, they have some questionable decisions. I don't know. Who knows? But of course, Jennifer wasn't going to pass up on that one. Do you think that Melissa was asked to be in the wedding? Do you think that these rumors are true? Melissa was asked with Dolores and with Jennifer because at first everyone was like, what? She invited Dolores and Jennifer and still didn't invite Melissa? Now it seems, according to a source reported by All About the Real Housewives, that Melissa was indeed asked at the same time that Dolores and Jennifer were asked and she declined. Do you believe that she was asked? And if you were her, would you decline? I think I would decline if I were Melissa. I don't think I would walk in the wedding because I would be like, you didn't want me in the wedding. It's clear that you don't really like me. I don't really like you either, but you are still my husband's sister. So I'll support you. You're still the aunt to my kids. So I will support you. I will attend the wedding. I'll clap. I'll smile. I'll take a photo and say congratulations on Instagram. But I don't think I need to be in your wedding. If I wasn't, if I'm an afterthought and I wasn't originally somebody that you wanted in your wedding and somebody that you envisioned being by your side on your special day, then I don't need to be there. We don't need to play the game. We don't need to play pretend. It's cool. If anything, I think Joe's kids could have been included in some way, even if not all of them, maybe one of them. Um, Only because like those are Teresa's only nieces and nephews or niece and nephews. So it's like, come on, girl, like include your family. This is your family. This is all the family you got. It's all the blood you got left. Like, you know. Teresa, she frustrates me sometimes. Okay, let's move into some more Beverly Hills tea. Oh, so Cherie is saying, Cherie Zampino is saying that she warned Garcelle about Sutton. 
I would. So we know Erica told Garcelle this season that she believes that Sutton is a liability and the women are like, you need to be careful with Sutton. She doesn't really think sometimes. She kind of just like says these crazy things and puts herself in these bad situations. Well, anyway, Cherie was talking to our boy Evan Real over at page six and she was saying that she was concerned about Sutton too and that she warned Garcelle even before she knew that Erica brought it up on camera. So she said she didn't know Erica had brought this concern to Garcelle. She had separately brought this concern up to Garcelle. She said that Sutton is the common denominator in a lot of these issues with the other women and that she thinks that Sutton's uh, bravado stems from the fact that she knows that she has Garcelle in her court to defend her. And listen, Garcelle has a lot of conviction. Garcelle, she stands very true to her word. She has a very strong personality, a very strong presence on the show. So I'm sure having someone like that in your court is reassuring for Sutton. Like, Kyle is a little more, you know, she's not as strong and won't come to your defense as intensely, whereas Garcelle has a very strong, like, when Garcelle is sitting at the table, like, she makes her presence known, you know? And she has just that conviction, just in the way that she carries herself, that, like, you don't miss Garcelle. Kyle can fade in the background. Dorit can fade into the background. Eric, I think, also has that very big, strong personality, um, as does Rinna, but I wouldn't say Rinna. Like, I don't know. I think, you know, Garcelle very much is a confident, you know, she's like, I'm a strong, independent woman and you're going to know it. And when you have someone like that, like that's the type of person you want in your court because they can also have, you know, an argument with you and not necessarily get very emotional because they can still kind of hold their composure. Those are the ones that are strong. Whereas Sutton gets very emotional and very like erratic and kind of all over the place. Um, and sh she loses her composure very easily. But, you know, I think I think there is some truth to that in the sense that Sutton really does, you know, feel brave because she has Garcelle, who's her tough buddy right next to her. And she knows that Garcelle's going to have her back. And she knows Garcelle can put she can check these women and put them in their place. So interesting to hear that Cherie also expressed this concern, knowing that because I know I saw a lot of people on Instagram and on Twitter started to come for Cherie and were like, oh, well, she's just thirsty and she's just this and she's just that. But it's also just like, but Cherie is actually Garcelle's friend. Cherie's not a full time diamond holder on the show. Cherie was Garcelle's friend before the show. So I actually think there's a lot more weight when this concern comes from Cherie rather than, it co than coming from Erica because Erica isn't as close to Garcelle and that I can understand why people were skeptical of Erica bringing up the liability comment to Garcelle on the show. I can understand the skepticism around that. However, with Cherie, I think Cherie's actually Garcelle's friend and cares about Garcelle and is like, listen, girl, I need you to be aware of this because maybe there is some truth to this. Maybe you do kind of need to watch your background, Sutton, because she puts herself in these situations and she's big and bad and she has a big bark and, you know, she's the common denominator in all of these big issues with these other women. And I think that there is truth to that. She really thinks that, you know, she can stand strong because she has Garcelle in her court. So now I've also heard that part of the concern that came up to Garcelle was also in relation to Sutton's drinking. 
Um, apparently the women not only discussed Erica's drinking on camera, but that Sutton's drinking was also called into question on camera by some of the other women. And this is part of why Erica raised concerns to Garcelle and why even Diana seemed to say that Sutton was very clumsy with her words. Now, I don't know if Sutton has a drinking problem. I don't know Sutton personally. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Um, I have no real proof of her having a drinking problem. I don't have photos of her, you know, chugging vodka at 9 a.m. But according to a source that's close to production in Beverly Hills, it was a concern that was raised on camera. And it was something that was spoken about amongst the other women on camera during this season. Now, I believe it's been described or it would be described as like what one might consider like a functioning alcoholic where you kind of appear together and you know you appear to still kind of have your faculties but you're secretly sipping away all throughout the day you know and you're a little lit the entire time but you can kind of still focus and hold it together and, and listen alcoholism is a dependency it's not necessarily being like sloppy and blackout drunk you know 24/7 i have relatives that were alcoholics or functioning alcoholics it definitely runs in my family you know my grandfather was an alcoholic and he would be drinking since first thing in the morning and he would go to work and would be fully functional at work and would be getting through the work day but he was still an alcoholic because he needed to have a drink as soon as he woke up in the morning so in terms of Sutton, who knows? I can't say that I've necessarily gotten the impression from Sutton from what we've seen on the show, but it's possible that this was edited out if these if the women were talking about it on camera, then I would imagine like if that didn't fit whatever the storyline was for the season, you know, this could also be why we have Erica in the trailer say, if we're going to talk about Erica's behavior, then we need to talk about everybody's behavior. It's possible that this does maybe come up towards the end of the season. Um, unclear as to when the women talk about Sutton's drinking and when it was brought up and how it was possibly edited out or whatever. But, you know, I can see why they wouldn't lean into that storyline, though, you know, lean into Sutton's drinking. If Erica's drinking is a little more evident and you can see that she's a little more, you know, visibly drunk on camera and you can't really have two, you know, drinking storylines at the same time with, you know, two different people kind of having the same issue, especially if one's a little more apparent because we know Erica was mixing her drinking with her pills. But we also don't have a history of Erica having a drinking problem. You know what I mean? That That's why I kind of like, okay, well, she was just having, I think she was having a messy moment and she was having like a, my life feels overwhelming in this moment. Whether people agree with that or not, agree with whether her life is in shambles or not. I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but from her perspective, you know, I can see her feeling overwhelmed with the circumstances and the lawsuits. And so she's mixing some drinking with some, some of her pills and then she's getting a little more loosey-goosey and is visibly a lot more drunk on camera than we maybe would have gotten with with Sutton because maybe Sutton was a little more subtle. Again, who knows what we'll end up seeing throughout the rest of this season, but I do think Erica's you know, drinking is a lot more evident that if somebody's going to bring it up, they have a lot more scenes that they can cut to that make Erica look a lot, um, you know, one storyline's a little more apparent. If you have to pick one, Erica or Sutton, you know, and these are the conversations that are happening. I think it's only natural to lean into Erica's because hers is a little more, not her drinking problem, but her being drunk on camera is a little more apparent. So, I mean, she does seem, Sutton does seem to have a heavier pour 
when they're on vacation, you know, like when they're in Tahoe or we had that ugly leather pants scene where they're at the bar and Sutton's kind of getting overwhelmed and we see Kathy making her hunky-dory comment and she has the vodka and she's like, you know, pouring the vodka. That should be a meme in and of itself, you know. So we do have those moments. But again, when you're on vacation or, you know, when you're just having a social time, like you're inclined to drink a little more. But... I don't know. I just know that these conversations did happen on camera amongst the women and it was either edited out or it hasn't aired yet or whatever. Um, I also think it just doesn't make sense to air to, you know, parallel drinking issue storylines, especially like, again, when Erica's is a little more apparent. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Is Sutton getting a is she getting protected in the edit this season? Could this all be the other ladies fanning flames to deflect from something, from themselves maybe? Curious what your thoughts are. Do you think that Sutton may have a low-key drinking problem? Have you noticed some things? I was going back and I was kind of paying attention to a couple of things and I'm like, hmm, hmm, hmm. I guess only time will tell. I've also heard from a separate source that they're looking to anchor the show more around Sutton and Garcelle. That to me doesn't sound like a totally legit rumor or even a good idea. I know that they're the fan favorites. I get that. You know, I respect that the fans like them or a majority of the fans like them, but I don't think that they're strong enough to be able to carry the show on their own. You know, their storylines haven't been as rich. I think they're the best when they have a stronger antagonist against them. Or not against them, but opposed on opposite side of opposition, opposition to them, opposed to them. I don't know what the word is, but where they get to play the role of the protagonist, but they have a bigger personality that's the antagonist that they can come for, especially when you're a fan favorite and you're poking at one of the villains that the fans don't like. It's very easy to win people over in that sense, like Rinna or Kyle or Erica. Those are polarizing antagonists that are very easy to poke at. And the fans are like, yeah, we love it. Yeah. Flash my titties like I'm a fun time like Heather Gay. Or even Crystal, I think in Sutton's case, was a really strong antagonist when she called her out when they were in Tahoe about the I don't see color comments, which is really interesting because if you think about it, like Sun's had a lot of those like messy moments, you know, where some of her behavior has been a little problematic. Um, Some of the things that she said have been a little problematic, yet we very quickly brush those things off. Try, I mean, I don't know if it's really just that she came at Erica so hard last season that that's what won the fans over with her. Um, She's funny, and I think she has really solid moments that I enjoy her, but I don't know. I just, I think it's easy for Garcelle and Sutton to fling mud at er- the Erica and the Rinna and the Kyle on the show because they know that the audience will be diehard loyal to them because they don't like them. So I think it's a cheap shot. Those is my thoughts. Tell me yours. Let me know in the comments below. Boy, what a vibe. What a vibe. What a vibe. What a vibe. Like I said, I have Meredith Marks on the podcast this Wednesday. Um, you best believe I'm going to ask her about Jen Shaw. So get ready for that. Jenny McCarthy is going to be on the podcast next week. So get ready for that. Book Club is back this Tuesday. I will be going live again this Thursday as I do every Thursday. So get ready for that. I also went to Dr. Jen Armstrong from the Real Housewives of Orange County. Um she did say that she was half relieved and half disappointed to not be asked back on Real Houses of Orange County. But apparently she's filming 
still probably not as like an official friend of or maybe she does have a friend of contract I'm not really sure but she did share with me that she has been or that she filmed the scene recently and has been talking about filming something recently for the new season so we may see Dr. Jen pop in and around um I don't know if Noelle is going to be back at all in any capacity but we do know we have Heather Dubrow Shannon Bedore Emily and Gina we have uh Taylor Armstrong joining the mix Tamara Judge is back full-time so OC does look like it's going to be picking up quite a bit. Kelly Dodd also revealed that she was supposed to film a scene, I think, last season. She was supposed to film for the show. Or there was something that she was supposed to do with, I think, Emily and maybe Heather. No, definitely not Heather. It was em- I want to say it was Emily and somebody else that she was going to film with. And then the producers were like, nah, we don't want to film with you. And so they kind of like cut her out of that. Interesting. But... Yeah, we shall see. We shall see. I know Kelly Dodd just did an interview with Jacques on the Unpopular podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. He did give me some of the highlights and the recaps, so I'll probably give it a listen to this week. If you guys haven't and you're interested, I definitely think you should give it a try. Kelly Dodd, I like me some Kelly Dodd. I think she's great TV, but... Ooh, thank you guys for listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. Um, but yes, I did go see Dr. Jen Armstrong. She did touch up my face, so I'm looking fresh. She touched up my juveau. I got that fresh tox going on. A little fresh tox in the forehead and the glabella and between the eyes. And we did a little eyebrow lift, just like a slight eyebrow lift, just kind of open up the eyes a bit. We did the mouth, the nose. The nose, I think, is my favorite my new favorite thing to Botox is it just like contours and slims the nose and like, oh, it's amazing. I love Dr. Jen. Um, I did post a video on my Instagram account today. So you can check that out with Dr. Jen and shout out to Evelis and Juveau. Love me some Juveau. Keeps my face looking fresh. And Evelis was very gracious, grace, gracious enough to host Dr. Jen and I last week. So get a sneak peek at that on my Instagram account right now. Give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. Follow the podcast at No Filter with Zach if you want that reality TVT. And don't miss all new episodes of the podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We go live on Instagram and YouTube every Tuesday and Thursday. And don't forget to stock up on some No Filter Wine at NoFilterWine.com. Must be 21 or older to order. And please sip responsibly. All right, guys. I love you. I appreciate you. And I will talk to you this oh Tuesday for Book Club. All right. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Bye.